And uh, welcome to Dark Page, G.I. Joburg. You're no my in. Hiya! Hiya! Hiya ho and pumbium. You're funny, I'm not singing. Hiya! 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 Hiya ho and pumbium. Hiya ho and pumbium. 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 Hey, okay. Episode 54 of G.I. Joburg. I'm calling it episode 54. I don't care what anyone else says. I was hoping that's... for 63. Oh, well, pl- play again. Can't we just skip Middle to 100? <laughs> roll, the, roll the dice. Play again. That's Steven's new way of saying guess again. Because apparently guessing isn't good enough. You've got to play. No, it's... Try again, player. Or continue. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Madhouse, everyone. <laughs> My name's Stephen. Uh, joined by Robert and Eckers Paul. And the three of us make up G.I. Joburg. Indeed. Three regular South African kids who <laughs> grew up on a staple diet of real American heroes. Yeah, real American <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> in well, We spent about half our childhood <laughs> speaking in American accents. How confused are we? Quite. So confused that it's affected our accents, because apparently we don't sound South African to most people. Well, it's useful to me, man. I mean... No, for sure. As an actor... I play uh, Americans all the time. Yeah, for sure, when they're not dubbing you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, my G.I. Joes never spoke Afrikaans. <sighs> Ever. You didn't have any Afrikaner Joes? No. No, I'm being dead serious. They never spoke Afrikaans. I was like, they were always English. My Rikondo was always an Aussie, but that's just that. that. <laughs> I was always like, pitch the his tank. Okay, let's go blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get good iron. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast record comes in the wake of the unfortunate passing of Rowdy Roddy Piper. So, what better way to uh, pay tribute to this fella who was immortalized as an Iron Grenadiers trainer back in, I think it was 2007, than by devoting an episode to the topic of real Joes. G.I. Joe and Cobra characters that were in some way, shape, or form, representations of real-life individuals. Hmm. All the way from Hasbro employees to popular celebrities, the G.I. Joe line incorporated these into their toy line and immortalized them in plastic. What were the highs? What were the lows? And more importantly, what place do these figures and characters fit into your G.I. Joe world? Characters and events referenced herein are fictional and are not intended to depict actual persons and events. I'm not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> this is brought to you from the back of a G.I. Joe card. Interesting that. Does that disclaimer appear on the cards of these real-life G.I. Joes? It does, as far as I know. I know. Huh. Well, it's the same in movies when they set things in, like, New York. Or, like, they mention Google or Twitter or whatever. It's like, it, the, the disclaimer is still at the end of the movie. No actual persons or events or locations are, you know, represented in this movie. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what you guys have to say on the topic. But first, 
there is the small uh, item on the agenda called new toys. Yeah, what's your new shit? <laughs> I am dying to hear what Steven's got, what new stuff Rob's got. What new so stuff shoot Paul's through got? To that. But you already know, yeah. but we don't know. Yeah, I know what I got. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what I got. Oh, I know what Steven got. Shit. <laughs> so the listeners don't know what any of us got. Ah, yes. Uh, Shit all. <laughs> back in Easter of this year, of our Lord, 2015, <laughs> I put in an order uh, on eBay from a seller on the bay for a 1988 Demon tank. And a 1989 Mudfighter aircraft. They finally arrived. <laughs> my, oh my. South African Postal Service is still up to shit. Uh, the box was so beat, I swear, it, it had probably been kicked from uh, the customs <laughs> depot <laughs> to my local post office. I, yeah, like picture the scene, you know, from like uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's crazy, but they're in good condition, though. So the mud fighter was a, a victim of some wing snappage. Ah, oh. uh, oh, one shit. of the black uh, winglets had snapped off because the the green tab holding it in place had cracked. But uh, a little bit of uh, super glue went a great way towards rectifying that. So Definitely. I can't even tell it was ever broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. 30 years old, eventually uh, some of these skills start to develop. You know? I've been dealing with broken toys all my life. I've finally been able to find seamless ways of putting them back together. Yeah, but obviously you couldn't solve a bad sticker placement. But whatever, that's fine. I think the sticker placements on the mud biter are problematic because they go over a lot of panel lines. So whoever the previous owner of this was, they didn't exactly screw it up completely. Yeah, I mean, it's, they tried their best. They're cleanly applied. They're they're in line. They're not wonky. Mm-mm. My OCD doesn't you know, fly off the handle. Well, thank God I don't have to look at it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but there the are some the rather intriguing aspects to the mud fighter and the demon obviously i mean these are pretty far out vehicles let's start with the mud fighter where does one begin well something that you didn't even realize um after flying it around for several hours you didn't even realize it actually can't land <laughs> at least according to the conventional manner in which planes land it would rip its entire propeller off yeah there's a very low clearance between where the propeller blades arc spin and where the uh, landing gear would touch the tarmac. So if the aircraft was to come in for a landing, it would round out. That means bring its nose up so that it is parallel with the ground, cut its engine, lose altitude, and then the final maneuver that uh, an aircraft would perform in order to make a landing called the flare, where the pilot pulls back on the stick uh, and allows the tail gear to touch the ground first, he runs the risk of clipping his rotor blades. Because obviously the mud fighter is not a tractor-style piston-engined aircraft. It is a pusher type. Yes. With the blades at the back. It's got this crazy-ass submarine screw on the back, I don't know what kind of propeller that is, 
I don't think it's <laughs> at all um, practical, to be honest. <laughs> it looks like something, I don't know, out of Da Vinci's uh, helicopter design handbook. <laughs> to be perfect. Hey, it's honest. piloted by Ace Duck. Yeah. So, it's an interesting signature look for a pilot. He better be wearing some uh, asbestos pants <laughs> because his legs fulfill the cavity left by the massive chain gun nose cannon moldings. Well, dual, yeah. It's, this thing has two Vulcan cannons. I mean, they are even aimed like like they cross streams at some point. Mm, the the barrels converge very quick. Like, um, individually they are of an equivalent size to the Rattler's chain gun, the Jawbreaker cannon in the nose of the Rattler, but they're two of them. Mm. <laughs> so that's already a staggering amount of firepower for one very small ground attack craft. But wait, there's more. It has no less than. 16, 16, one six bomblets, and they are each uh, apparently 200 pounds apiece. That is 3,200 pounds of ordnance for a tiny speck of an aircraft. It's, wow. <laughs> it's staggering how much this thing can carry. Now, when you're dealing with a heavy bomb loading like that, you need two things. You need a supremely powerful power plant, otherwise you're not going to be able to get off the ground. And you need a very large wingspan to generate enough lift to counter that enormous weight. Um, the mud fighter has next to no wingspan <laughs> once you get past the bomb rack. Uh, it's, it defies all laws of aviation. <laughs> but you know what, guys? I absolutely love it. I've been bombing it around all day, every day since I got it, and it's it's very, very fun, in spite of its obvious failings. I mean, it is a very simple toy. Once again, making the comparison between it and the Rattler, where the Rattler had a very nicely sculpted and functional Gatling gun, this has very plain part of the single press um, structure of its fuselage. You know, the cannons are just an, an otherwise very easy to miss mold detail. But it almost doesn't matter, man. It is just loud and bold and brash and packed with ordnance. I mean, there is no other turboprop aircraft in the G.I. Joe line. So I'm very happy to own a mud fighter. It's also got a very dirty name. <laughs> mud fighter, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking dirtying shit up. What was the saying? If uh, there's grass on the wicket, it's good <laughs> for cricket. cricket. But if there's no grass, just flip her over and play in the mud. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I mean, you, you hear these things, you know what I mean? If it's brown in the town, just get down on the clown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that I find very amusing about the mud fighter, it doesn't have any glass to make up it's canopy. It is a black armor portion. Now, in a line of toys famous for taking armored fighting vehicles, tanks, you know, ground, ground vehicles, covering them with firepower, and then giving the, the operator a nice glass canopy to see through. <laughs> with an aircraft, 
where a glass canopy would not look out of place in the slightest, <laughs> you've got this black, um, hard canopy. I mean, yeah, it could have just as easily been a transparent piece of plastic and would have looked quite handsome. But they went with this armored look. Um, I guess it's supposed to be able to take some hits. Though something that small, pff, I mean, forget about shooting the pilots. Just shoot anything. It's covered in bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's only ever gotten four uh, Cobra trademark uh, symbols. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's got four kills on its nose. And that comes standard on every single mud fighter, as does the numbering. Uh, there seems to be an eight emblazoned <laughs> on the plane, which, which hints at the fact that this is part of a, a larger squadron of mud fighters. Um, so I guess dogfights is not alone. But one thing that is always very, very attractive, particularly on the aircraft, because they seem to get this, this decal more than, um, land vehicles or aquatic vehicles, but it has a signature patch. Uh, with the inscription ground assault wing. I mean, the design itself is, it's a badge with a lightning, uh, strike and some feathers and what looks like a kind of rotor spinning effect. Yeah. Because this is a rotor driven craft. Um, basic, but very handsome, very elegant and certainly, you know, gives it something unique. Uh, Always a welcome addition on G.I. Joe vehicles to have their own patch. And that's all I have to say about the Mud Fighter. Anyone else want to chime in? Yeah, you've said a lot about this vehicle. I'm no. very curious to hear how much you have to say about the uh, the Demon. The I want to know what you were going to say about the Mud Fighter, though, Rob. I, I was, I was going to say the cool Vulcan cannons. I think, you know, the first thing I noticed was it can't land properly. But, I mean, <laughs> other than that, I think it's fine. It, it, it's it's small, practical, um, compact, and um, simple, to the point, easy to handle, um, fits my hand real good, um, and it drops a good load. <laughs> I like it. Oh, God. <laughs> Moving on to the demon. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, get out your holy water. <laughs> <laughs> What can be said about a tank that is wider than it is long um, has the most auspicious play feature of rising, which seems to be Destro's thing. The Razorback is another famous example of a tank that just wants to be a little bit higher than it once was. <laughs> Some <laughs> guys need that. <laughs> you know, short man complex, I suppose that's it. It's got... A rather um, excellent complement of weaponry. Uh, no less than six barrels of death. Wow. <laughs> split into two independent turrets of triple-barreled... Could they be lasers? Could they be machine guns? You could play it either way. Dude, I actually didn't realize this thing was as short as it is. Dude, <laughs> and it's fucking wide. Okay. Yeah, the, the Demon is the widest vehicle, I think, yeah, Stephen Owens. <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. <laughs> there are wider, but there certainly aren't any other vehicles that have these dimensions. Look at Being it. Being as, as, as short as it is versus how wide it is, it certainly is a standalone 
tank, if you could even call it that. I was talking a little bit about the armament, six missiles, which make this out to be more useful as an anti-aircraft, a mobile anti-aircraft unit, to my mind, than a frontline main battle tank. And certainly it's interesting uh, elevating feature can have some use in um, peering up above ground clutter in order to snap off a missile at an incoming aircraft. Yeah. Uh, so long as, you know, there's no one near you to, to knock out your trusses and leave you stranded. What always strikes me as very odd on this tank initially, I mean, where does one begin? <laughs> but <laughs> when it rises up onto these supports... How is it that the tracks are powered? There must be some <laughs> kind of transmission uh, running through these support struts, which make it even more vulnerable to ground attack. Because, I mean, there certainly can't be engines, surely not engines inside the tracks themselves. <laughs> that would just be hell of a cumbersome. And to have these two independent engines, no, no, I, I can't even begin to fathom that being uh, the case. There are intriguing design elements. There is a weapon system at the back of the tank, uh, which has an independent uh, arc and its own operator. And there's something that I've been keeping from you, Rob, which I'm now demonstrating for him live. Oh my goodness, I'm... When you put an operator in that turret... And close, <laughs> and close the hatch. Peekaboo, I see you. His head sticks out of the hole. So he's operating this gun, which is um wow conspicuously right on the level of his dick. <laughs> <laughs> this is shocking. With its three barrels, which actually, to my mind, looks more like a flamethrower than anything else. I mean, it does. It looks like when a grease gun. It's perhaps designed to spew um, engine grease. Yeah, to stop people from following. <laughs> or hopefully um, jellied gasoline. And the weird thing is that actually the space can seat three figures. And it's like, yeah, you didn't need that extra seat there. Because the, the one guy faces forward, who's the driver. The second guy faces back with his head outside. And the third guy faces sideways. Looking He's at... looking at the rocket launcher. <laughs> He's not, and he has no screens. He can't do anything. He's like just a passenger. Yep. He's Unless like the, the, the screen is on like the side. I don't know. It's very weird. It's nice. You can fit three figures in there. Well, two and <laughs> two a and a, a soon-to-be corpse. <laughs> <laughs> a headshot victim. But yeah. okay, here, here, here's me singing some praise and winning some of the magic back for mm. the demon. When I saw this on the catalog that was quite uh, common at the time, it was in a European G.I. Joe catalog, and it had the demon pictured, and it just... It, it posed many, many questions. A vehicle like this, it's not trying to emulate anything in the real world. So my imagination was allowed free reign. I was like... What is that? It's got this red transparent panel in the front and then this red thing alongside, which I suppose is giant lights. I mean, did that function? Was there, was there a light bulb inside? Could it actually work? 
was it part of like a solar powered unit? I mean, would, would this thing actually move or, or have some kind of weird fantastical functionality? Uh, and then the cockpit itself, how big was it? How many people could you put in there? Could it be like a little, little nerve sensor, a little command unit for your, for your Cobra personnel? I mean, it just, it was a more mysterious vehicle than say, the Warthog or the Rolling Thunder. It just had so much more mystery going for it. And uh, I'm glad I've got it. It gets me one step closer to the dream that is to complete an entire year's worth of G.I. Joe toys. Yes, ladies and gentlemen of, <laughs> of our audience, I have yet to do that with any of the original Real American Hero years. But I'm nearing completion on 88 and 89. And of course, a demon and a mud fighter gets me very close to that goal. And in order to reach that goal, Rob and I are toying with the idea of getting a condor and a raider. Yes. It was actually Rob's brainchild, and he got on it this evening. We were looking through the, the vehicles and the figures for the years that are quite close to completion. And I have always dismissed the raider because the only pictures I've ever seen of it is when is when it of the vehicle is when it's in two pieces, you know the 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 back half is kind of like stood up on pegs or whatever, and the the front half is like running around or something. And then I (laughs) I hurry, (laughs) Kiri. Yeah, and then I googled it and I realized, wow, it actually looks like a really fantastic vehicle tank when it is together in one piece. It actually looks really decent. So I went on eBay and I started looking around and I realized, wow, the rand to dollar exchange rate is just insane. And like shipping is gone through the roof. Often, it's fucking insane. Often Sorry. things would be as expensive as the thing you were trying to buy. Or more. Sorry. Or more. We managed to find one seller who was selling both. And I think we're in the process of kind of questioning this, this person about certain things. Um, because often when they say complete, they don't really mean complete. Look, yeah. sometimes sellers slip up. Um, no, for the sure. The seller in question, because we are out to help you, the G.I. Joe consumer. Yes. The eBay seller in question is probably the biggest G.I. Joe e-tailer on the Bay. Uh, DC Sports Cards from Fishers, yeah. Indiana. This guy has always got massive listings of G.I. Joe. He's quite a, a standard port of call for me. I have used him many, many times, uh, most notably for my USS flag. Mm. And he normally gets it all right. And his vehicles and, and figures are reasonably priced. However, every now and then he does slip up. So watch yourself. This particular raider that Rob had his eye on was listed as complete, but was in fact missing the black cannon tip. Oh, right. That attaches to the small grey. Not small. It's not small. No, no weapons on that vehicle are small yeah, <laughs> cannons. Yeah, but it's that that thing is the the detachable vehicle thingy. Mm, the central single gun has a black cannon tip, and it was missing on this particular specimen. So I did shoot him a little response saying, "Hey, buddy." I know you listed it as complete. You should just be aware that. Well, he has yet to respond, I think. Perhaps he will have found it. But yeah. back to the I... ra- the thingy. What's yeah. Called? The demon. The demon. Mm. <laughs> um, I like the coloring of the gold parts. It's actually kind of slightly shiny. 
And that, that's kind of unexpected to me. I don't remember many G.I. Joe vehicles having shiny plastic. It most certainly fits the color scheme of that initial wave of Destro's troops. Yeah, probably the only other problem I have is the fact that Destro is like looking at his own face when he drives this thing. <laughs> like the sticker is right on the canopy. It's like, fuck you, I will drive through my face. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got really cool decals otherwise. I mean, beautiful like Chinese dragon designs on it. Well, a very, very uh, interesting observation, that, and one that Form BX257, who's currently doing uh, reviews on all of Destro's uh, vehicles and equipment from 1988. Yeah, go check them out on YouTube. He says that there is a definite uh, Eastern influence to Destro's vehicle aesthetic, mm. and certainly the uniforms of his troops. Mm-hmm. One need only look as far as the nullifiers and the uh, ferret drivers to yes. see exactly how ornate their uniforms are. There are ancient Egyptian influences, perhaps ancient Chinese influences. Indian, maybe. Mm. Russian. Certainly some unique stylings for what was to become a distinct force to be reckoned with. In the G.I. Joe mythos. It's an interesting vehicle. I probably would never have bought myself one because it's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know... Completionism has made me a strange, strange duck. I would get a Raider, personally. It's actually something that was on my hit list. Oh, Raider, yeah. Well, Rob was going to get a Raider, too. The (laughs) The demon's weird. Oh, you're talking about the demons. Sorry, Matt. The demon's also on my hit list, as well. And it's not a completionist thing, either. Really? Yeah, I like the Why Iron Grenadiers. You see how vehicles. wide this thing is, my friend. It is too wide. I know um, it, it is awkward for me. I, I Steve actually uh, hit nail on the head when he said nerve center. I kind of like that idea for it. It's just I see it as like a an MCC for the Iron Grenadiers. You know, some yeah. kind of. It's not meant to go front lines. Yeah, so you know, it, it's cool in that regard. You know. Yeah, but um, the Raider. I mean, yeah, like I've never seen it look so cool. You know, as in when it's together, which is cool. No, the Raider is very sexy, and the and if I can just chime in about DC sports cards, mm. uh, I got my condor through him. Ah. Uh, and I know one of the biggest uh, catches with buying a condor is making sure you got all of the bombs, uh, because it has a lot of bombs, um, <laughs> and they are very easy to lose. So. Mine was complete as far as that is concerned. The only thing I didn't get is an Aero Viper, but it's not the end of the world because I, I know that specimens that come with an Aero Viper tend to be more expensive than they should be. Uh, and yeah, it was a great uh, specimen. Ironically, it was the only time I've ever had to complain about anybody on eBay <laughs> because <laughs> because um, I didn't like the way that he had actually shipped it. He kind of put it in a plastic packet, you know, like like a pick and pay packet kind of thing and oh. and he just threw it in the box it wasn't like it had any like packing peanuts or anything there so yeah <laughs> the a bit... amount of transactions that that guy does <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no i'm sure well you know he probably knows a lot about shipping things so by now he's like confident of the way of shipping things oh, but yeah. obviously you know it's it's better to err on the side of safety, safety. but yeah i mean <laughs> I, I'm not trying to use this as a forum to complain about him. I'm no, just saying sure. that actually uh, I find that 
with the with the condor itself uh, getting the condor that I got and it being in the condition like it, and when I say condition it is it's pretty superb condition it's awesome I love it it's it's close to pristine when I got it I mean there was no breaking broken landing gear no missing missiles uh, say that five times faster um <laughs> so you know he is he he is very good at what he does and I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, I mean, but we, we're hoping to get these vehicles from him as well. I think it would oh, be good pretty on you guys. awesome. And Go my Condor is going to have an Aero Viper. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine's got a replaceable front part, so whatever. <laughs> I got two front parts of a Condor, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because I have my original Condor's front. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what happened to the back? Yeah. I would love to know, because if I didn't so know... Would I. It, yeah, because... Fuck. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, good on you. <laughs> so, Rowdy Roddy Piper, everyone. <clears throat> yeah, he's amazing. But first, I got something new. Oh, God, I dropped something new. Funky. I killed something. Rob got something new. <laughs> Rob got something. I know. I got... Yeah, it feels like I'm being infected by... Crazy. Okay, Yes, so when Steven's cool stuff arrived, so there's something cool for me. It is a fast draw. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm quite happy. He comes with everything, and he looks really cool. Like, he's one of those kind of, like, wilder characters who kind of doesn't fulfill a specific role, but he's kind of like, yeah, we need someone to carry the missiles around. Uh, you'll do. <laughs> And fire them off to... Come on, Rob. He fulfills a very specific <laughs> task. It's like, okay, send in fast draw. He fires two missiles. Okay, fast draw, withdraw. Run away. You're done. Get out of there. <laughs> fast draw. I mean, you know, he shoots twice, but he shoots quick. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, once he's shot them, he's done for the day. I think that's pretty cool. That's a... <laughs> Just a rollover. He's finished. <laughs> okay. He's spent. <laughs> Twice over. <laughs> I got new shit, but like we'll get into that just now. Oh. Excellent. Well, yeah, Fostro is cool. His coloring is good, and he also he came in this. It's this amazing little package. Like it, it's amazing. It's like a, it's a mini blister card that, that that you just pop open at the back, and then you pop the figure in and you close it. It's amazing. Oh, cool. I noticed it's also on eBay quite a lot. I mean, DC Sports Guard seems to sell quite a few of these. Mm, um, it's a mini clamshell. Yeah, and it basically seals itself at the back. You know, it kind of like, you push it closed, and it's like, click, click, and done. The new way of displaying your loose collection. <laughs> yeah. Just make your walls like a toy aisle. These things hanging off pegs. So, yeah, I'm very happy, and, yeah, thanks, thanks to Steven for being awesome. You're welcome, Robo. Keeping my joy alive. (laughs) And that's it for the Cape Town uh, segment of new shit about the Joburg side. I got myself a Tunnel Rat, which I've been wanting to get myself for a very long time, because I love Tunnel Rat. Yeah, but Barry Harmer figure now. Yeah, and he's such a cool toy. Uh, I don't have these little torches, but I've got the cool, awesome machine gun, and I've got his TNT baggie, yes. which is quite nice, his satchel. And this is an extremely awesome G.I. Joe. I mean, I'm sure many listeners have Tunnel Rat already. I know you guys have a Tunnel Rat between the two of you. Definitely. Uh, he is such a cool toy. I really, really love this figure. And um, he's been sitting here at my desk for a while, and he's been played with quite often. 
Aside from that, I've just uh, I managed to finally get myself a Lego Ghostbusters set for a, a much preferred price of seven hundred and fifty or whatever it was. Um, that as is. Opposed, no rand, as right, opposed to like a thousand two hundred and a thousand three hundred, which is what some guys were offering. Uh, I even looked at the eBay route, and then I just sort of got a bit uh, jaded by the whole experience, and I decided, oh fuck it, I'm not going to ever get it. And Michi and I had to go to Four Ways for some reason or another. And I went to the Lego store, which is powerful course if I go to Four Ways. And there it was. And Mish actually offered to buy it for me. So, Aww. yeah, so which was really cool because she knew how much I wanted it. So I scored that. That's so sweet. It is cool. Hey? It's cool when your girlfriend buys you shit. And I mean, it's not often that she can. So it is cool that she managed to get me something that was. That that she felt good about. So having was, girlfriends is really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you put lots of money in, you get a little bit of money out. You know what I mean? Ah, <laughs> I'm joking, for the lady listeners. Um, otherwise, I've just been inundated, and I'm not even going to go into detail. But I've just been buying tons of Gundam. Good uh, job, man. Yeah, tons is pretty as as a pretty good word for it actually i've bought so many plastic robots it is actually frightening <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah we we, uh, we we we'll soon be pinning out new ones at, at my comic book store and i got to kind of go through the box and i was like i want this one and this one and this one and this what one. have you got one. i don't <laughs> no, know yet well uh i don't know the names and stuff well i well, there's like a couple of real grade ones um okay, that's cool and uh, but I mean I'll 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 shoot a list to you soon, no, yeah. We, but we're derailing GI Joe Bro podcast. The last thing that I have bought that is also GI Joe, I just haven't received it yet. And uh, maybe by the, our next episode, I'll have it in my hands so we can do a bit of an on-air review. Uh, I got myself the Desert Striker two-pack with the blue snowcat um, or basilisk as or they call basilisk. it. Yeah. And I got the two-pack with um, Spirit and Storm Shadow. Which is great because I want a original deco uh, spirit, which is there, uh, and it's a modern era original deco spirit, which is cool. And it comes with the storm shadow. Hang on, as well. does he have a, a powder blue shirt? Yes, he does. Oh, fascinating! Yeah. Ooh, so I want one. So he's quite cool, yeah. And it's and it's a fairly easy pack to get because it seems to be one of the not so popular. Two packs from that line. Well, in the wake of the Gung Ho two pack, I mean, come on. Yeah, so, but I mean, like, that's kid that everyone wants to play with. You know, that's the thing, but that's also proving really hard to get hold of at the moment. But the Foe Striker, <laughs> as uh, Rob Buzan from Joe Day calls it, uh, is something I'm very excited about. That is looking like one really awesome toy to have. I'm looking forward to talking about that on air because that'll be my first All Striker, and it seems to be. The next best thing to getting a real All Striker, which is the original, the vintage. Steve, would you say the vintage is really awesome, or would you go for uh, 25th anniversary? Um, with the All Striker, depends yeah. on what kind of foot pegs you're after. You oh, are true. a modern era kind of guy, and uh, being able to mount guys on the running boards of the All Striker is quite a thing. They're quite prominent and quite wide, and it increases the All Striker's use from being just an assault vehicle to being something that can ferry a small strike team around. So you're going to want to go for the 25th anniversary. But the FOE striker that you're getting with the Basilisk is the yep. winner. If you're a modern era fan, it's got it's got the 25th anniversary beat, surely. It's got all the added details, the the, uh, the top, 
the gas can, the armor plate, the additional sort of protection, and it's sand-colored. Which and is... you can mount a guy at the back. Ah, very good. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, it, yeah, it's just um, it ticks all the boxes, and I never liked the fact that the ore striker had a non-removable recoilless gun on top. It really hurts the low-slung nature of a sand buggy, dune buggy type vehicle. Yeah, it, it suddenly makes it very tall. You can't move it. It's it, it's not aerodynamic at all. Not that the ore striker is particularly aerodynamic, but it it just looks cumbersome to have this large barrel stuck to your rooftop. It would be much nicer if it was freely uh, removable and didn't look like it then just had a big uh, empty plug on the roof. Which, you know, by all indications, the FOE Striker is designed to do that. It's designed to be a little bit more adaptable, a little bit more modular, and is superior. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard me say it. The modern era representation of a vintage toy is superior. Aha, you fell for my trap. <laughs> but now we must talk about Roddy Piper and his ilk. Touche. Yes. Okay, yes. Getting on to our topic for episode 54, Real Joes. Robbie, you've got the rather exhaustive list. Oh, my goodness. Ah, listeners, you might want to listen. You might want to busy yourself with mundane activities like washing the dishes. But right now, we are going to tell you <laughs> all the Real Joes you're likely to find in the G.I. Joe line. Okay. Let's have the it, number. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not no, any particular order, except, well, I mean, the first and probably the most well-known would be Robert Remus, or a.k.a. Sergeant Slaughter, in 1985. So that would be the very first one that came out. And then from there, all the vintage ones that were based on real likenesses would be Tunnel Rat, which was uh, Larry Harmer, because of course we all know who Larry Harmer is. Uh, 1987, and then there is uh, Sneak Peek, whose likeness was based on Owen King, who is Stephen King's son. That was also 1987. Another one from 1986 is William Refrigerator Perry, who, aka the Fridge, he was a football player in America. I'm just sometimes mentioning who they were because sometimes we don't even know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was speaking from Specifically, the point of view of a South African, an NFL star was, we didn't know who this guy was. Oh, it's a G.I. Joe in a football jersey with a football <laughs> chain mace. I mean, must be friends with Bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another one. Uh, Walter A. McDaniel, Rampage from 1989. He was a comic book creator. Mark Leonard as Scoop. 1989, also a NBC Today correspondent was his actual profession. Robbie London, a Deke animation executive as Rapid Fire, 1990. Huh. So I think those are all the vintage Joes. Um, but the modern era, or and as well as I think the sort of in, you know sort of in between era where there were several. 2012 was Daryl DePriest as General Iron Bear. He is a Hasbro Toys. Global Brand Manager VIP. Daryl the Priest. Yeah. Yeah. Serious? Yeah, he's he's often um, in news coverage when it comes to GI Joe. When I read up on GI Joe news uh, on various websites, Daryl the Priest is often involved, and his name is is, is thrown around quite a bit. Daryl okay. the Priest said this. Daryl the Priest was there, and he told wow. us this. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Then there was the 2005 FHM contest winner, uh, Luke Ellison, as Red Zone. 
whose figure came out in 2006. <laughs> That's an unfortunate nickname. Carry on. <laughs> uh, Brandon... <laughs> Brandon Yerwa, or Jerwa, I suppose, is Dragonski in 2005. He's a comic book writer. Comic book writer, yeah. David S. Lane, a surefire. He was the 2001 G.I. Joe fan club president, as well as Brian K. Mulholland as Big Brawler, also the 2001 G.I. Joe fan club officer. He was an officer in the fan club. And then Brad Sanders, who is an actor. He was uh, portrayed as, well, his likeness was used for Big Lob in 2010. And last but not least is Roddy Piper as Rowdy Roddy Piper in 2007. Also, not to forget Vincent Dialeva, who was a Hasbro executive that oversaw the G.I. Joe division at the time, mm-hmm. that time being 1991, as Cesspool. Oh, interesting. Can we show <laughs> some love for Kirk Bozigian, uh, who, uh, whose likeness made it onto the law figure, hmm. 1987 as well. That's crazy. Also, Ron Rudat, very popular uh, artist for the G.I. Joe line. Uh, he was uh, immortalized as Leathernick. That is Ron Rudat. <laughs> that is fantastic. So, and he even worked his name in, well, sort of palindrome style. They reversed it for Dusty's file name. Ah, Nor Tardur. Ronald Tardur. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ron Rudat, yeah. That's very cool. Well, it's like Scoop. I mean, it's Leonard Michaels, isn't it? Or Leonard Mike. Mike Leonard's. Yes. Leonard Michaels. Yeah. Real original, those folks at Hasbro. But hey, <laughs> wouldn't you be thrilled to be immortalized in plastic? I suppose one might say that Steel Brigade was our chance. But those are all faceless. It's always mm-hmm. been our dreams to be real Joes. Yeah, with our actual plastic incarnation of ourselves. And some lucky cats even got that. So, guys, the highs. What What is really, really, really special about likeness Joes and Cobras? I'm really not sure if there is anything special. Because, at least maybe not to non, non-Americans or to the people themselves. Because... We didn't even know who these people were necessarily when we were collecting the toys, or even now. Like, I mean, I I had to look up a lot of these people to just go like, oh, okay, that's who you are. But then again, it never stopped like Scoop being my my you know number one dude, you know, whether or not he was based on a real life person or not. Um, so for me, I don't think it really had much impact at all, actually, in choice of Joe or in consideration of of playing with Joes. Um, it's just an interesting fact that some of our favorite Joes are based on real people, and I think that's kind of cool. And that's basically where I'm coming from. No impact whatsoever, essentially. When I got the Warthog, uh, it, it was essentially my first big G.I. Joe vehicle, and it came with Sergeant Slammer, uh, which is what they redubbed his name as for the uh, European release or the UK release of uh, G.I. Joe. And I got this figurine, and he looked like a drill sergeant, and I was like, that's really cool. And it wasn't that that much longer afterwards that we got uh, a videotape of the G.I. Joe movie, and I saw Sergeant Slaughter in that film. Dave and I were always kind of, I suppose we really looked uh, at the credits afterwards, you know, because, you know, we nerds. And Sergeant Slaughter as Sergeant Slaughter, so I thought that was kind of weird. Hmm. And I don't know, 
how we came to it because David was a big fan of WWE and it wasn't really broadcast in South Africa, but occasionally we've got WWE broadcast in South Africa, like sometimes with certain, um, you know, with certain like SummerSlam and whatever, or WrestleMania 10 or 8 or whatever it was. Uh, sometimes we just had that on TV on a Sunday or something one time, and David saw him there, and we were like, oh, wow, you know, I wonder if, like, if this G.I. Joe is based on him or if he's based on the G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. Uh, it was like, oh, crazy. But it was always a bit of an insider joke with David and I that characters and events referenced here are fictional and are not intended to depict actual persons and events. David and I always used to see that in movies and always used to be like, except for Sergeant Slaughter. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were kids. I mean, whatever. But that's that's always stuck with me. I mean, all the other people, I don't know. I think when I got back into G.I. Joe, found out that Tunnel Rat was a likeness of Larry Hummer. That didn't make me like the figure. It makes me like the toy a, a bit more now. But, I mean, I've always liked Tunnel Rat as a character and as a figurine. So, for me, it has had very little impact. And also, if I look at characters, and I, and I do apologize to the late Roddy Piper, but knowing that Roddy Piper is a wrestler, having seen Roddy Piper wrestle <laughs> on WWE and stuff like that, or WWF back then. I don't know, it just, uh, my brain can't, I can't merge them. They're very separate things. To me, it's just kind of niche that Roddy Piper is a figurine. It doesn't, to me, it's not like he is a G.I. Joe, or a, in this case, Iron Grenadier. I mean, if, if we are to couch it in the terms of what are the good aspects of real Joes and what are the bad aspects of real Joes, you guys have kind of danced between both. For me, it comes down to a simple childhood dream of one day having me as a Joe. And to know that G.I. Joe Hall of Fame guys like Harmer, Bazigian, uh, Ron Rudat, to know that these guys are immortalized in plastic gives me hope that, hey man, maybe one day I'll have a little plastic man of myself. <laughs> it's a pipe dream and there is always the avenue of customization. But I mean, we're getting closer and closer to it. Uh, sculpting our own heads, popping them on a modern era body. Uh, it's a very doable thing. And that concept wouldn't exist in my mind at all had it not been for them doing it way, way, way back in 86 and 87. Oh, true. Hell, even as early as 85, that's when Sergeant sort of broke the mold as the first real Joe. And the bad. It seemed to me that when you had a celebrity being immortalized as a G.I. Joe, they invariably got shortchanged in one of the fundamental aspects of a G.I. Joe. They weren't just the most poseable modern soldier action figure. G.I. Joe also came with killer accessories, which further fleshed out what you can do with your action figure. The initial Sergeant Slaughter was a mailway, then followed up by one that came with a vehicle. But the figure itself never came with any killer accessories. Similarly, William the Refrigerator Perry came with a rather disappointing mace, which, I mean... Always a very difficult kind of accessory to tackle anyway because <laughs> there is no actual chain connecting the ball and the handle. So it was this kind of fixed stick, <laughs> um, which kind of sucks, actually. And you contrast those figures, 
uh, and the others like them. Another example would have been, no doubt, the Rocky Balboa figure that was actually cancelled. It probably would have come with about as many accessories as his opposite number on the Cobra team, that being Big Boa, who, now that he had no Rocky to fight, wound up being a bit spare and rather unexciting. I remember passing that figure up in toy aisles because what the hell did I want with, sure, a big burly dude, but he came with boxing gloves and a punching bag. I mean, (laughs) to my six-year-old mind, that was the most boring figure one could ever had the misfortune of receiving. Ah, but that might have been aspirational for, say, young boys who loved boxing. Perhaps, but I'm sure they numbered in the vast minority. I'm pretty sure he's the first one to get a Tom Thumb. I'm sure he was one of the first to go with a Tom Thumb. (laughs) Oh, he would have had a Tom Thumb belt. Uh, you know, jam little firecrackers in a, you know, in between his torso and his waist piece and see if you could blow off that O-ring. <laughs> Which is uh, a quality figure in retrospect, but certainly not one that was going to be able to compete with a Heat Viper or a Hydra Viper or hell, even a Lieutenant Falcon in those days. I mean, it was cut and dried. I'd sooner walk home with a Croc Master than with the dude that had the punching bag. Hey, Croc-Master had a crocodile, so totally. <laughs> he also had a whip. Kinky. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the celebrity-style action figures sucked in the accessory department. But, Paul, you mentioned it as one of your highlights. The Sergeant Slaughter that came with the Warthog. Mm, not only a killer vehicle, but a killer representation of that character. And certainly one that held a place in your play pattern, even if you had never encountered World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment, as it was later rebranded, uh, in your life. Even if you had exactly. no, no association with the character of Sergeant Slaughter, his file card and his appearance certainly painted him as a very vivid character and one that would easily integrate your play patterns. He certainly did in mine. I was very happy to have that figure. What I find interesting is that, that depending on the character, that there was some very good integration of these real-life people as Joes into the Joe mythos a lot of the time. It's, it's not just like a gimmick, like there's the toy. You're not going to see him in the, in the comic books or in the, in the animation. I mean, toy-wise, I mean, Sergeant Slaughter is probably the most successful story. I mean, he has Slaughter's Marauders, and then he, he gets tons of screen time in the movie. And in the um, TV series, yeah. And in the TV series. I mean, this like entire, I don't know, maybe a third of the film is, is, is about, you know, Falcon getting trained by, by Slaughter. And like, they even infiltrating the bloody, like, Cobra base and stuff. There's got a lot of interesting information. I think is, well, certainly this Joe fan's most favorite part of G.I. Joe the movie. As well. That's, that's why, that's the only reason I, why I tolerate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's for that secret. 150 pounds of air pollution. <laughs> You guys didn't love it when Chuckles, like, started the tomahawk with his hands? Yeah, and he's Jeez. riding it, like, oh, below man. the blades. It's, it, that's my favorite part. Snooze. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm afraid uh, it was Slaughter's Renegades for the win and Rawhides for the distinct lose. Yeah, no, that was no good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason I have modern-era versions of, you know, Taurus and Mercer, you know, because <laughs> of that scene, you know what I mean? So... 
I hear you guys loud and clear. Obviously, not all the characters are featured hugely, but at least, you know, Slaughter is, Tunnel Rat, Leatherneck, Sneak Peek to a certain degree, I suppose. And then, of course, you get other ones where it's like, yeah, you just, you have a Joe. He looks like you. Especially, I think, perhaps the more recent stuff. I mean, I haven't read much IDW stuff, but I mean, is there General Iron Bear in the comics? Um, uh, is there a big lob? Is he lobbing bigs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I seem to think that there's definitely been some fan service a- attempts in some of the comic titles to <laughs> to reference Big Lob, maybe even give him an appearance. Huh. But I must say, I'm not up to scratch on comic book uh, knowledge to back that up. Definitely, but in the in the enormous wealth of GI Joe publication out there. Somebody must have, surely. Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, go get Big Lob. Yeah, he's a little busy right now. Yeah, we really need to throw a grenade really far. <laughs> really? In a hole that's really small. <laughs> Come on, he's our Luke Skywalker. And the crowd goes bananas. <laughs> Although, uh, jokes aside, I liked him as a character in the movie. Um, I think it's just the child in me that likes him, to be quite honest. I think G.I. Joe is as a brand, has always handled it pretty well. Uh, I mean, it, they've never really, with the exception, the exception is guys like The Fridge, for example. You know, we've got his, we've got his uh, signature or his autograph on the file card, and, and, and they made kind of a big thing, like they really branded it as, this is The Fridge, the American footballer who is now a G.I. Joe kind of thing. That's very blatant, but all the other guys, it's very... Under the, uh, I don't want to say under the table, it's kind of surreptitious. It's it's nothing. It's like if you know about it, it's great. It's an Easter egg. If you don't, you don't. It's 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 cool in that regard. I I I commend Hasbro on that because they didn't make the superstar a character. They just put that person and, and made them a GI Joe and gave that character a write up. Whereas, with the exception, of course, once again being the fridge, where he's written up as. Oh, he's this big badass American footballer, and he takes pride in the fact that when they finish the grueling, you know, training course or whatever, they have to get through him. I mean, yeah, like you know, shoot him in the head, double tap, and move along. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I, it's, it's like to me that is irritating. I find that very invasive. But all the other guys, I'm like, that's cool. Like, I mean, the fact that we only, most of us, uh, I think you guys included, only found out this stuff. When we read the um, Mark Bellamo's guide, when we were randomly looking for a G.I. Joe on Yojo, things like that, you know, that, they're Easter eggs. And I like that side of it. I like that they are. I like that they are Easter eggs. Yeah. 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 And what is quite good in general, I think, is that even though there are three and three quarter inch figures, the likenesses are actually quite good. I mean, especially yeah. like with Mike Leonard as Scoop. I mean, I've seen pictures of this guy and it it is actually, I think it's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob's favorite figure of all time, ladies and gentlemen, it's Scoop. <laughs> no doubt there. Also, doesn't it speak, uh, uh, well, doesn't it say a lot when Hasbro executives and Hasbro employees and people involved with the brand are G.I. Joes? It says a lot about the brand. It tells me that, hey, these guys really like dealing with toys. These guys really love this brand. And, you know, the, for them, it probably was quite a big thing to be immortalized as a character in the in the toy line. I'm pretty sure that it is kind of a, a big thing within the Hasbro offices back in 1980 and early 90s. Uh, like, oh, I can't believe Brad got got the face sculpt. I worked so hard. 
That Brad just sits at the, the water cooler talking shit all day. <laughs> if I was to guess, I'd say there was some level of kiss arsery. Oh, of course. I mean, certainly giving Stephen King's son a G.I. Joe was like a big, I don't know, kissing of, of Mr. King's arse. His son was a fan of G.I. Joe, so okay, it's, let's give uh, Stephen King's son a, a, a likeness. I mean, well, it could have been time, the other way around. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. At the same time, also, I mean, it wasn't you know the hip hip crystal ball crystal was crystal ball. I mean, he was allegedly what, his allegedly file card was written by, by Owen King. King. Owen King, or was it Stephen King? Oh well, <laughs> I mean, I I, it was I, is the kid, the son. Well, then there. I mean, obviously, he was quite a big fan, and because he's Stephen King's son, Stephen King probably came to them and said, "Hey, do you mind?" They're like, "Yeah, why not? Let's do it." <laughs> But I mean, to, so to, to, to con- contrast, contrast the kiss archery that I speak of with what you're saying, Paul, and that's, he this is a line to... that the, the people in charge, the creatives were so passionate about that it was, it was like a, a, a sort of an honor bestowed upon them. And they, they must have taken enormous pride mm. in their work to want to be immortalized in plastic. I mean, it's, it's quite a huge compliment, actually. Mm. So no, to totally. the level of one's passion, that they're not just coming in to punch the clock, that they have a vested interest in putting out the very best designs that, that they can, or the very best characters, writing the most vivid stories, from Kirk to Ron to Larry. I mean, the guys responsible for G.I. Joe, to be honored in this way, says a lot about how they regarded their work. Yeah, totally. We do the same thing in, in games design. You know, we, we hide little Easter eggs in, in games graphics as maybe a nod to another product or to another game or to a movie that we like, or maybe we hide ourselves and some of the team in the game. I know with Toxic Bunny, I was asked to do uh, caricatures of all of the team members and put them in the one level as sort of, um, sort of stone emblems that you could find if you're looking for them kind of thing, but otherwise you would completely miss out. And I see it in other video games where you see uh, tombstones with names on. And if you, I don't know, stumble on a YouTube video somewhere along the line and it's like, oh, top 10 facts about Fallout or something, and then you, you find out, oh, okay, those are actually developers or friends of the developers. or But it's more often than not it's the developers or some of the artists or whatever. And it's kind of like a badge of honor. It's a positive in that regard. In the early 90s, with toy branding being what it was, lots of companies were trying to obviously cash in on the movie hype, toy business, with uh, you know big properties, Aliens, Terminator, etc., etc. And more often than not, uh, they couldn't secure the rights for the actual likenesses of the you know the actors and actresses in these films. But surprisingly, Hasbro did a bit of a turn there, and it's it's something I, I want to mention in this podcast specifically because I don't think we have to talk about it again ever. But the Street Fighter line now, a lot of people think of the Street Fighter line; they think immediate, they think Ryu, they think Ken, they think that whole line that was done. But there's actually this weird little line of Street Fighter toys that came out by Hasbro, and they're all Jean Claude Van Damme in different outfits, you know, like Snow Attack and you know Diving Attack or whatever the hell. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it's, Paul does his research every day. Yeah. No, sorry, I just I couldn't read the the naming because they're actually not that easy to find. But I got one of those. I mean, I I remember seeing it and thinking, happy days. I I actually found some GI Joes 
And yes, it was Jean-Claude Van Damme, but it was the first time I managed to get a Blizzard sculpt, okay? Because I, I never had Blizzard. So I had Blizzard with Jean-Claude Van Damme's head. Was it blue? <laughs> no. Oh, well, it was white. White and grey, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a proper color. It was proper Ooh. Blizzard colors. Except it came with it came with Deep Six's um, boy. What's that? Uh, you know that like funny, uh, that like floaty, it looks like a jellyfish. Yeah, thing. we know what you're talking about. It came with that, and I think it came with a backpack for an incinerator or something. <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy. And they also did uh, wetsuit, and I think there was a Snake Eyes as well of that. So, you know, it, it's interesting because the face sculpt is kind of Jean-Claude Van Damme, but not really. Kind of like if Jean-Claude Van Damme had more hair. But it's such a weird gray area. It wasn't very successful, obviously, because they never really did that again. And they handled numerous properties as well as, uh, you know, after that, as well as like, you know, or Jurassic Park is one to mention. I think there's another toy line that used the G.I. Joe sculpt at some point as well, but they never used the likenesses. It's weird. Well, what about for the, the live action figures? I mean, The Rock is... His figure looks like The Rock, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. It does. I mean, and what about Channing Tatum and the other characters? I mean, I, I haven't looked at them for a while now, but I mean... Channing Tatum kind of looks like Channing Tatum. Yeah. Byung-Hum, I think it's the guy who played Storm Shadow. His face sculpt is very good. It's very... Uh, at least the, the original Rise of Cobra line, his face sculpt was very good because the paint apps were very good for that. Scarlet is, is off the mark. Lady J, as cool as the toy is, the face sculpt is off the mark. The mm. Baroness is off the mark. But it's it's just interesting that it, depending on the actor, like they they tried their best to get it right, and for the others they didn't. Mm. Um, yeah, because I think I'd actually completely forgotten that they were live action Joe movies, <laughs> and that the toys might look like the actors. <laughs> I think it's quite acceptable for those to fall out of consideration for this evening. Thanks, gents. <laughs> because the discussion of uh, the Rock movie is yeah, not something I'm likely to ever want to get into, actually. Yes, Again. but, but let's, yeah, let's, let's talk a bit about uh, the Roddy Piper figure, I think. Roddy Piper made an appearance at the 2007 G.I. Joe convention. I believe it was in Atlanta. I could be mistaken, but if you want some archival coverage of that particular convention, look no further than the now defunct G.I. Joe Review podcast. Christopher, Matt, and Chad attended that convention, I believe, and certainly had a lot to say about it. You might have to do some digging. I'll do it for you and drop a link. On our Facebook page. But the G.I. Joe Collectors Club created a figure in conjunction with Roddy Roddy Piper's appearance at the JoeCon. And this figure was designed to be an Iron Grenadier trainer. So the Scottish connection to Destro was obviously a thing. The file card is a screamer. <laughs> I'll read it. Rowdy Roddy Piper, primary military specialty, combat training instructor, secondary military specialty, special services, <laughs> and in brackets, bagpipe player. <laughs> Birthplace, Glasgow, Scotland. Rowdy Roddy Piper spends his formative years in the Royal Regiment of the Scottish Army. 
He earned the nickname Rowdy by clashing with his senior instructors and pummeling his teammates during combat exercises. This aggressive attitude allowed him to excel in all the disciplines of close proximity fighting. He became an expert with explosives, small arms, and hand-to-hand combat at a higher tactical level than most soldiers. His natural talents helped him to win top honors from his infantry unit and a position as a senior drill instructor. It was later revealed that his birthright was part of the Destro clan. Following his heritage, he became a mercenary and took charge of the Iron Grenadier training program at Castle McCullen. As an offensive tactician, he only selects the best of the best for Iron Grenadier guards, Iron Anvil paratroopers, and undertow divers. His training methods specialize in close quarters battle tactics and hybrid martial arts, which incorporate techniques from several different fighting styles, as well as submission techniques to secure compliance from the enemy. He proudly wears his distinctive tilted uniform during all Iron Grenadier exercises and plays his bagpipes before going into battle. (laughs) They end off with a quote saying, Sooner or later, everybody pays the piper. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Wow. OMG. I actually did encounter Roddy Piper's character in the form of a cartoon called the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling Show. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember it? I remember that. We got it several years after its initial air in uh, the States. But in it, Roddy Piper was the leader of the bad guys, mm. which I find very amusing. So, I mean, that Im- immediately paints a picture that, at least as far as the WWF was concerned... He was one of the bad guys. I mean, yeah. well, it's true. I mean, his character in the WWF was a villain. He was one of the villains. So it stands to reason that he would be allied with Destro. Mm. But it is nice that they gave him a more formal military background, something that I don't know if the actual wrestling character of Roddy Piper possessed, but certainly works him into the G.I. Joe mythos quite nicely. And that. That was quite a well-crafted and well-written file card, if I do say so myself. Certainly grounds him as a G.I. Joe character and gives him a place in your your universe, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> and the Scottish connection was just too good to pass up, I suppose. You know, where else to put him? You know, he's got bagpipes. Yeah, he's one of Destro's ilk. <laughs> he's Scottish. Why not conform him to a stereotype? You know, (laughs) I think it's just cool that that I mean that he he was yeah immortalized as a joke. I haven't watched much wrestling, but I do remember seeing some of his sort of fights, and I always remember him being very memorable and very interesting. And then eventually, I did see the the film he was in, the John Carpenter film called They Live, which is Uh. an absolutely incredible film and still very relevant today. It's it's an incredible film to watch and kind of just mull over and digest it. Yes. Um, Are you saying we should watch They Live, Rob? You should. Everyone should watch it. I mean, it's as our as our good buddy Kujo would say, it's it's as well as John Carpenter and Roddy Piper himself. 
on Roddy Piper's own podcast when he interviewed uh, John Carpenter, I think, several years ago. Um, it's it's very much a documentary of of what is happening in the capitalist world today. I mean, even then when it was originally made, and it's as relevant back then as it is now. Um, it's very interesting and definitely worth a watch. And I'd call that a very fitting tribute to the late Roddy Piper. And perhaps a good note to end this episode on. Rest in peace, big guy. You are immortalized as a G.I. Joe. And so you'll be <laughs> jumping off the top rope for eternity? Yeah, for I don't know. Sure. Is, that, is that something they do in wrestling? I think so. Yeah. Totally. Paul, is, also, Paul, knows, Paul knows wrestling terms. Flying arm bar of doom, triple yeah. H-bomb of attack style, clothesline... Devastation maneuver. Undertaking. <laughs> Ass wiping. <laughs> Tea bagging. <laughs> but wrestling, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. It's the most fun two or more men can have in public in a ring. <laughs> Oiled up. And in a cage <laughs> with chairs and tables. In or out of a ring. I mean, sometimes they take it into the car park. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'll never, I'll never get it, but uh, yeah, I've never gotten it. it definitely either. has its place in world entertainment. Thank you, Roddy, for this episode. If I had a drink in my hand, I'd raise it to you, bud. So let's end this podcast so I can get to some drinking. Whoa, let's do it. Well, <laughs> thank you to everyone for listening, and join us again next time for the next episode of. Guy Joburg, this has been Robert. This has been Stephen. And this has been Paul. Are you sure your name's Paul and not Robert? <laughs> I'm sure it's not Robert. I'm pretty sure mine's Robert. You're Stephen, he's Paul. And join us again for Guy Joburg when we discuss more cool stuff. And at least in one opinion of someone on Twitter, we're the go to G.I. Joe podcast to listen to. <laughs> so I'm glad you're all here. And he loves that guy. And he loves us. Actually, name drop time. Oh, let's drop his name before we leave. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Drop that name. Drop that name. Drop that big lob name. (laughs) (laughs) Full bomb load. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. (laughs) The mud fighter. I can almost feel it. It's it's, Red Zone. (laughs) This is going to be good. Oh, I can always... Oh, it's on the tip of Stephen's tongue. The red zone. Carl Stern. Thank you so much to Carl Stern for believing in us and and recommending us as the top G.I. Joe podcast in the world. We appreciate it. It's good to know we're not the only ones who think that. Thanks, dude. Yeah, (laughs) us and Carl. You are a legend. Thank you, Joe. We are the best one out there by far in terms of G.I. Joe podcasts. Excellent. We're not blowing our own horns. Uh, this was tweeted on Twitter. So there's one person in this world who knows a thing or two about G.I. Joe podcasts who says that we're the top dogs. Excellent. Now we just need to start talking about other stuff and we'll be the best podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we tickled your Joe bone. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Big ups, man. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Joe, everybody. Good Yo, night. Joe. Good night, good Yo, Joe. Bye, donkey. Good night.